Hello, Shilberts and Filberts. Welcome to the preamble. Uh, let's see. Today, I want to remind you guys to go buy some coffee. Yes, you know, through Anarcho Coffee, we've got the morning roar. Start your day not only with terrible breath, but with a terrible roar for liberty by grabbing some of our coffee. You can find that at lionsofliberty.com forward slash coffee. And if it's your first time, be sure to put in the code ROAR10 to get 10% off of that order. And just in general, make sure to join up on the pride. We've got new Legion of Liberty Doom episodes. We've got new Degenerate Gamblers episodes. And of course, all of the uncensored do-nothing man. So make sure to go to patreon.com forward slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. How goes it, everyone? You know, I was just on The Dent Report, which was a podcast, or was uh, he committed suicide like Jeffrey Epson. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> The Dent Report is a podcast from a buddy of mine named Andy Ruther, who is a uh, stand-up comedian and also is known for the Dirty Sports Podcast. But he had me on just to talk about things in general and uh, <laughs> just cracked me up. I'll, I'll, I'll post the, a link to that episode if you want to hear it in the show notes because he had me on talking about libertarianism. And uh, kind of the current state of affairs, what's going on with the culture wars in America, Donald Trump and everything else. But just cracks me up. Every episode, he starts the same way. He goes, welcome. <laughs> this goofy voice. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm jealous. I wish I had something like that to start this show rather than just yelling at you people out there to uh, join the pride. But, you know. I guess we've all got to have our thing, staying on brand here, being tired, being half drunk and tired. That's my brand. But at least I'm not so tired that I fell asleep hanging from a bedsheet, a weak bedsheet, leaning forward with that noose around my neck for support as I drifted off into Lady Sleep's gentle arms, the gentle caress of the queen of the night. Because that's apparently what Jeffrey Epstein did. And you know, it's interesting. I was having a, uh, I had a little event at my house this past weekend. You know, I had some people over, a little barbecue action, play a little beer pong, which sadly I did not win the tournament. But I did make a lot of money playing cash games because I am fantastic at beer pong. So, uh, but I was talking to you, a bunch of people were there, including Jason Stapleton came by and... Little do most of you know, Jason Stapleton actually, well, if you listen to his show, maybe he talks about this. I haven't listened to his most recent episode, uh, which actually I was supposed to go on this Monday and I could not because I had to do a uh, strenuous effort for a launch of a new uh, event for a client of mine. But uh, he probably told you this if you did listen in, but he at one point in time was in fact a prison guard, which I thought was fascinating. And, uh, you know, very briefly, obviously, because who would, who would want to do that job for very long, except these, uh, these cronyist union members who get the, the cushy pension. But of course, Stapleton's not one, uh, not one to stay in that biz. You know, he's got more lucrative things to get into, but he told me that, you know, it is possible to commit suicide in these, in these, you know, even when you're on suicide watch, it's still possible, uh, if you're really motivated to do it, which I believe him. And he said the, the way that most people do it. Uh, Because you're thinking about suicide and you go, okay, how's this guy who's like 200 pounds, right? He's like six foot tall. How is he going to hang himself? You know, kind of like Anthony Bourdain and, uh, and all these other people like, 
God, Chris Cornell, I think, was the same way. They ended up hanging themselves from like doorknobs. You know, I know Anthony Bourdain hung himself from a doorknob, and Anthony Bourdain was like six five. How can you hang yourself from a doorknob at six five? But where there's a will or a murder, there's a way. And apparently, a lot of these guys will lean forward, choke themselves, right, until the point where they pass out, and then. I guess at that point, you're low enough to the ground, you pass out, and the noose continues to tighten around your neck made by the bedsheet, and you can, in fact, die. So that is the theory, which can be floated out there. Now, I'm not saying Jason believes this theory, by the way. <laughs> so I was talking to about, about this as well. But that is the theory on which several prisoners kill themselves. You know, some like 90% of prisoners do kill themselves by hanging. So it's not that unorthodox to believe it. However, I do not believe it. I don't believe that he was sleepy. I don't believe that he was suicidal. Apparently, according to his lawyers, Jeffrey Epstein was in high spirits. And uh, actually, before I get to it for the episode, I hope you're in high spirits for this Electric Liberty Land episode number 137. Meaning you can find all of the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 137. But yeah, Epstein. So apparently his lawyers had said they talked to him. He was in high spirits. Yeah, other, other people around the facility said that he was talking nothing. There was no indication that he seemed as though he was going to kill himself at any point. Talking to the lawyers as though they were going to move forward, keep defending the case. The, you know, obviously he was taken on, on, well, he was put on suicide watch initially a few weeks ago. They say he tried to kill himself. They say they found him with marks around his neck. Now, what's interesting to note is that this was neither confirmed nor denied by Epstein himself. He never said, yes, I tried to kill myself. He never said, no, I was attacked by somebody who tried to choke me out. As far as I can find, and I just looked and I couldn't find shit about it. And isn't that something you would think people would know about? I mean, we seem to have a lot of details about the intricacies of what happened, the whole timeline of things that went on. You know, reportedly, they find the guy they report him for psychological evaluation. They put him on suicide watch, but yet nobody asks, nobody asks, nobody says, hey, Jeffrey, were you choked out? Were you trying to kill yourself? Was there somebody here attacking you? We can't get to the bottom of this. He's just what? He's mum. He's just sitting there mute, not talking about it, not telling his lawyers, not telling anybody whether he tried to kill himself. It just seems absolutely bizarre. One of the many things that are absolutely bizarre in this case so they put him on suicide watch, right? A couple weeks later, they take him off, put him in a cell, I guess, with a large muscle-bound former New York police officer who has been uh, accused of murder. Because remember, he is currently in what they call the MCC, and that's the Metropolitan uh, Correctional Center, which is a pre-trial facility. So, you know, you're just waiting trial. You're in this facility with other prisoners. So he had this roommate a day before he kills himself the second time. Well, you know, attempt suicide, I'd say, the second time <laughs> successfully, if we were to believe that. They take this other prisoner out of the cell because he wasn't in solitary. He had a roommate until about a day before this attempt. So they removed this guy. No rhyme or reason about it. I read one article that said that he was scared of the guy, but still, you'd think they would want somebody in there to, to, to watch over him. And even then, there's still an opportunity because people go away to take family meetings or meet with lawyers. So you could still have an opportunity to kill yourself. But they take this guy out of the cell. And even though he's not on suicide watch anymore, which is something to remember, they're still supposed to check on him every 30 minutes. They do not. 
They abdicate their responsibility. And what ends up happening is that they hear some sort of, uh, well, his apparently the next door neighbor's prisoner cell, he heard nothing. Not even choking sounds, which again, you would think you'd hear some sort of choking sounds if a man is hanging himself, uh, some sort of dangling body noises, some sort of shaking, shuddering of the body as you go unconscious. Apparently none of that happened. And then, you know, the guy says, okay, they run in, they hear, breathe, Epstein, breathe, as they try to resuscitate him. But these guards didn't come in to check on him until after the fact, and they're blaming it on the fact that they say that, that the, you know, this facility is just run down, that all the guards are working overtime, that some people are sleeping in their cars, if, if the Daily Beast is to be believed. Now, they, they did this article by Michael Daly, which I'll link to again in the show notes. And they paint this. It's just so funny. It's the Daily Beast, man. God, they're just... It's so ridiculous. But they did, they paint this as like a real crisis in, in this facility because obviously it's the unions had said that they needed more help. You know, these fucking cronious unions. The guy who's running says, oh, well, I've asked for more, more, you know, more help. And we, they just won't give it. Nothing changes here. Meanwhile, nobody's quitting. Nobody's going on strike in these facilities. And why? Because they have cushy pensions to fall back on. I mean, you know, this, this is a federal facility. These guys are probably going to get to retire at 55, like all these correctional facility officers do. So give me a break. Cry me a river. Turns out this is a federal facility that's run like shit. It's broken down. There's mold. There's water. There's people not doing their goddamn jobs constantly. And maybe they are understaffed. I don't know. But I don't believe that the government doesn't have enough money to staff it, considering that we have the highest deficit we've ever had, considering that we have the highest uh, annual budget that we've ever had. Seems like there's plenty of money for many other things. And considering this was a exceptionally high profile case, like who else is in your prison? That's more high profile than Jeffrey fucking Epstein. You don't think maybe you could say, Hey guys, I want to make sure you have a special eye kept on this gentleman, you know, because he is a suicide risk. As we know, not only that, he is clearly at risk to be murdered. The fact that he's a pedophile and murderers get, or uh, pedophiles get murdered in prison constantly. Oh, yeah. And there's that whole thing about how every one of the elite that has been to his island wants him dead, which has to number in the thousands. Including, of course, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton logged 27 times on the Lolita Express, Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile-filled airplane where they would prey on young girls in the air. And I don't even know who else. You know, it's like Alan Dershowitz, uh, Kevin Spacey, and uh, just uh, uh, Prince Andrew. From the UK. The list goes on and on. So to say that this is some sort of, 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 you know, really just a tragic letdown by a single prison, and that's why this happened as the Daily Beast is arguing, is just ridiculous. It's This is the federal government writ large. They can never accomplish anything except seemingly murdering, you know, people across the, uh, across the world, which have no impact on us other than for the sake of blowback. But clearly they're not going to be able to run their prison competently. I guarantee you, if this was a private prison and they had a high-profile case like Jeffrey Epstein, eh, they'd be able to take care of it. Not to go out of my way to defend private prisons, by the way, or any prisons, by the way, but I just, I just laugh at, at them trying to, <laughs> trying to defend this place as though it's not the people working there's fault that this man is dead. It is clearly their fault. It's going to be interesting to see what Attorney General Barr wants to do about it going after them. But anyway, I don't want to talk too long about this because... We're going to have Larry Levine, Levine, I can't remember how he says his name. Uh, Anyway, 
fantastic, hilarious guest that John Odermatt has had on several times on Felony Friday. Guy, of course, spent a lot of time in the prison system uh, to the point where they truly despised him because he would kept getting you know, transferred around. He got the ups on a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the prison staff. So he's going to have an interesting take on it. But he's going to be coming on Felony Friday. And uh, so I don't want to go on too long because I'm sure he'll have the better take. But do I think this is, is a murder? Yes, I do. I mean, again, so many people have so much to lose. And there is so much money there that it, there's no object in paying people off. How many people do you need to pay off for this facility? Every one of them? Okay, these guys are complaining about working overtime and, you know, oh, we don't have enough staff and whatever else. How hard is it then if you have disgruntled employees to say, look, man, everybody, here's my PayPal address, Bill Clinton. Yeah, everybody, here's my, here's my, my PayPal. Just go ahead and send me and a hill dog about, about $10,000 each, and we're going to make this, this Epstein character disappear. <laughs> he plays the saxophone off. <laughs> it's easy. Are you fucking kidding me? It's not hard to get drugs into prisons. It's not hard to get weapons into prison. It's not hard to get any number of things into prison as long as you want to get them in there because you've got any number of corrupt guards that are willing to play ball to make themselves richer. Why would you think it's any different when you've got a high-profile pedophile in there where people will probably pay a couple million dollars to bump off? Now, it's not a definitive thing that the man was killed, but again, it's in a long, long line of people the Clintons are associated with that happen to turn up dead. And the fact that Trump retweeted it is hilarious, if for no other reason than now all these fucking bootlicking Democratic left, you know, just ass suckers have to go and out of their way to defend Bill Clinton to say, oh, well, here's why it's not true that they killed all these people. But by doing that, they're drawing attention to the fact that, yes, the Clintons have been associated with an outstanding number of deaths of innocent people who could have potentially damaged them or their business interests over the years. A shocking number of people have died in private plane crashes, by the way. Like, half the people they know seem to have died in private plane crashes. It's truly magnificent. So do not fly with the Clintons. Do not fly around the Clintons. That's that's my uh, advice to you. All right, moving on. I don't really have that much more to say about it. I am hoping that there is still enough here to go on. I'm hoping that they can still use the documents that they found to go after the rest of these pedophiles and still break the ring wide open. But at the same time, I don't know. This could be a message being sent. You know, they take out Epstein. Clearly, there's a message there. Anybody else who talks, you're going to end up dead as well. We saw this with all the other scandals that the Clintons have been involved with. And now they've got far more people involved than just them. I mean, shit. Maybe Prince Harry, or, or not Prince Harry, maybe Prince Andrew's got MI6, you know, creeping on uh, on everybody's doorstep, waiting for them to walk out the door so they can shoot him in the head with some sort of laser beam gun, take him out or inject them with something to make them have a heart attack. Whatever it takes, right? You got to protect our pedophile elite at all costs, guys. You know, one last thought on this is like, is this the most inevitable suicide ever? I mean, I think when when Epstein went in there, I, we all were very confident that he was going to end up dead, right? Like, is there anybody out there that didn't think he'd be dead right now? I was 100% positive that he would never get to testify. While, you know, acknowledging that they could put him in some sort of lockdown facility deep underground like you'd see in the movies, you know, like where he's being driven around in an armored car and there's some sort of, <laughs> it's like, what was that movie that came out? It was like the drug cartels had put a hit out on you know, Jason Statham or something like that. And he had to be protected as he's being ferried around and they're launching missile launchers that there's people coming up from underground and there's people in tractor trailers outfitted like road warrior cars smashing in them. Something like that. Maybe they could have tried that. 
they still would have gotten to him. <laughs> Bill Clinton climbs in. Bill Clinton comes up in a RoboCop outfit somehow. He's like a Gundam. He's got a special suit just to take out people that that fuck with him. But I can't think of another another high-profile, quote-unquote, suicide that it was just so, so guaranteed. And really, I I wish I had thought ahead of time. I wish I had gone and put a bet down on it. Like somebody in our, in our pride group just said, we should have talked about it on Degenerate Gamblers and placed bets on it because I would have put a heavy bet down, man. Somebody had to have been taking that bet. I should have seen if Bet DSI did it. Ah, money on the table, guys. Leaving money on the table. Okay, next things. Why don't we get into a little bit of discussion on the Hong Kong protests? And I talked about this on a previous show, talking about how first, you know, basically Hong Kong obviously has been part of China officially since 1997 when the British gave that land back to China after essentially, uh, you know, working it as as a colony of Britain for a long time. So reverted to China, but they've lived under two different systems where the totalitarianism fascist regime of China is not actively controlling Hong Kong. They're pretty much allowed to live their own way. They have different uh, legal system there. They have their own democratic system to elect their leadership. They've got different rules for you know finances and all that sort of thing. So China wanted to crack down and start putting in place a law that would or a bill that would allow them to extradite people from Hong Kong that would have been protected there, extradite them to China and try them in mainland China for, again, financial matters primarily. But as we've seen, this could also be applied to any number of things that China's done lately, from cracking down on journalists to the Unger, I guarantee I'm saying that wrong, Ungers, yeah, the Ungers, you know, again, this uh, ethnic minority that were put in camps in China, and I still, still think are in camps in China. You know, again, we're seeing fascism play out far more than communism there. And having been to China, and I did enjoy myself, not going to lie. And I'm sure if you go to China, for the most part, you'll enjoy yourself too if you're an American. But they are not communist in the sense that they operate under a uh, communist manifesto and have everything. While the state does control a lot of the means, uh, they still do have a very strong capitalist streak. But additionally, you know, communism wasn't really about having this uh, ethnic unification, which China seems to be going down that path. They want people to identify with communist China as far as their mentality and the Chinese people as identify as this communist fascist uh, regime. And this is why they're going after these minorities, which is why they go after religious minorities. Uh, I mean, what we're seeing out is, is becoming pretty horrific. And as such, the way in which these Hong Kong protests have really gotten larger and larger and refuse to die down as China has refused to back off this bill, which they tabled, but they refused to take it fully off the table and decide, okay, we're not going to mess with Hong Kong and its independence from China as far as legal protections. You're seeing the people of Hong Kong because of the terror that they feel when faced with a brutal type of fascist face that is China now rise up and say, we're not going to take it. And honestly, I'm impressed by it. Uh, I think it's inspiring, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But at the same time, we're seeing the Chinese military move into Shenzhen. You're seeing them amass on the border. And if these things continue to go the way they're going, I think you will see violence. I think we will see death there. And that's going to put the United States in a very precarious position because we want to support Taiwan. We're supporting uh, Hong Kong. 
However, it puts us now, we're already doing uh, essentially a trade war, which can, you know, often trade wars turn into real wars because at the financial basis of a country, if you start to rock that foundation, that's when the guns come out, as we've seen time and time again throughout history. But we already got this trade war. If we try to get involved, like if let's say Hong Kong gets crushed under the Chinese boot, right? They roll in the military. They put in a regime in the exact same manner that the rest of China is governed. They would, number one, they'd be fucking retarded to do it because Hong Kong is such a hub of commerce. To go in there and destroy that, they would be hurting themselves. I'm talking about China overall. Uh, because that would that would not actually aid them in what they're trying to do, especially when their finances are, are a little bit precarious right now. Uh, but number two, now you go, okay, well, they've cracked down on Hong Kong. They've already broken that barrier. They've already, they've already pierced that veil. Are they now going to go and crack down on Taiwan? And Taiwan, of course, is a country which the United States, well, I, we view them as a country officially, Meanwhile, China views them as a uh, disciple of mainland China, but we still provide Taiwan with arms. We still have our own dealings with Taiwan. So if China then decides they're going to go in and invade Taiwan in the same way and crack down and officially say it's over, they are now a part of China. Again, it raises the specter of, is the military going to get involved on our side? Are we going to get into World War III? And if we did, would we even be able to win? How would we fight it? Because our military is stretched all over the goddamn world right now, fighting wars in 50 different countries, everywhere in the Middle East, everywhere in Africa. We've got bases in Poland. We've got bases in South Korea. I mean, what's going to happen there? So what, we're going to keep all the troops in South Korea? Meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Kim Jong-un's going to be like, oh, well, it seems like you got bigger fish to fry. I'm going to keep <laughs> testing my nukes over this way. Maybe go and uh, bomb the shit out of South Korea. It just is one of those ridiculous premises where if China, in truth, if you're China, the time to do this type of thing would be right now. I mean, America's scrambling. We've extended ourselves way too far. We've already got a mountain of debt. We've got a, a military which is somehow overextended while still having the biggest supporting budget that it's ever had in the history of the country. And you also have our main tool for getting our, you know, our planes and our troops and everything around these aircraft carriers they are virtually worthless now because of hypersonic missiles the Chinese have developed. So we could send through the aircraft carriers. And the, you know, the U.S. had done this in the past to chase people away. I can't remember exactly where we sent them. But to make our presence felt in the Pacific there, we sent these aircraft carriers. China backed off because at the time, they didn't have anything that could compete. Their military was nowhere near the size, and it still isn't, of ours. But in the face of an aircraft carrier and all this military might and all this air power, they backed down. Now... They're just targets. They're just targets in the water. So if push came to shove, China just blows the shit out of aircraft carriers, which are just these kind of antiquated behemoths at this point in time, the way that, it, that warfare is going to be fought. And they just go, hey, go, go kick rocks. You want to come invade us? Okay. Do you want to have a nuclear war? Okay. What are we going to do? Nothing. Anywho. <laughs> so... I, don't, I, I really don't know how this is going to play out. Things can get very bad very quickly. Like I said, I'm hoping that the economic virtues of Hong Kong are going to win out in the end as far as China goes. But uh, who knows what's going through the heads of the dictator over there. And he is de facto dictator now. Jinping, uh, he is, 
you know, extending his presidency, kind of like what people are afraid Trump's going to do here. He has already done in China. So, you know, he's just uh, the new Mao. Anywho, the things, though, that I look at with Hong Kong and you take away and you look at what's going on here is, you know, you're seeing these people out protesting because they want their rights. They want their freedoms. They don't want to be infringed upon. They don't want to have their, you know, their religion threatened. They don't want to have their freedom financially threatened. They don't want to have their freedom of movement threatened. They want Second Amendment rights. There's people in the protest, like Chris Osborne, one of our Pride members, had tweeted at us, or I'm sorry, he tagged us on Instagram with some of the signs there, and it says, I want the Second Amendment, or wish we had the Second Amendment, because these protesters realize that you can't have this sort of armed operation just roll in, and then what are you going to do? Well, now your country's screwed, because if you have an armed populace, despite what people want to argue here, that there's no need for assault weapons and that they shouldn't be allowed to the general population, you don't have a military capable of simply taking over a country by rolling in there. We've seen this time and time again in just the way the United States' military interventions have played out. Afghanistan. Oh, look at that. We lost that war. This little country full of goat farmers with AK-47s, well, rolled in there, overthrew their leadership, but turns out the leadership at the top isn't all it's about. Because when you have an armed populace that's pissed off, they know the lay of the land better than you do. You can't search every house all the time. And all it does is create more people that are fighting back if you do. Well, you're going to lose that war. And we have lost that war. And we're in talks right now to get the fuck out of there, finally. Look at uh, Vietnam. There's another example. Look at Iraq. Look at any, I mean, really any of the past wars in the past 40 years, pretty much. Every single place we've been. It's just not possible to win when you have an armed population that is willing to fight back. And the Taiwanese, not the Taiwanese, the Hong Kong natives know that. The Hong Kongians, I don't even know what they call themselves. But they acknowledge that. They realize that. They would have a fight on their hands were they armed. The Chinese military wouldn't feel so confident rolling in there and dictating how things are going to be because they don't want to take their own losses. They don't want to have a whole humanitarian crisis on their hands, wherein now they march in there There may be bloodshed. There may be another Tiananmen Square incident. But the majority of the population there, without guns, without being armed, is not going to simply lay their lives down to lay their lives down because they have too much to lose, especially in a civilization like Hong Kong has, where people are living well. They want to protect their freedom, but they're not going to simply be cannon fodder to do it. And you see, you know, ongoing right now, These people are singing, literally, they're singing the national anthem over there. They're singing the American national anthem in the streets of Hong Kong because they envy the system we have, the liberties we have, the protections they think we have from our own government, the fact that we're armed. And yet we see people here at home bending over backwards to say how shitty this country is, how we need to get rid of all the protections that that we've been assured to protect ourselves against the government for exactly reasons like we are seeing play out here. And you've got all these nanny state socialist pieces of shit on the left saying, oh, no, no, we need to have a bigger government. We need to have more government power. The government has to run your health care. The government has to oversee your mental health. They have to dictate who and who can't have a gun. They have to be able to see your social media posts. They have to see what you're visiting at all times. They have to see all your interactions. I mean, this is ridiculous. Do people not see what happens? They don't see the writing on the wall. They don't see what happened in Spain. 
The Basque region in Spain, when those people were getting mowed down by the cops, they're getting kicked in the streets, they're getting shot. You do see what happens any of these places. You don't see what's happening in Venezuela where people are getting beaten and shot in the streets because they don't have any guns to defend themselves against this socialist regime. But yet they continue to want to erode our freedoms under the guise of safety. That's the biggest fucking irony. You want to be more safe, so you want to erode any chance you have of maintaining your freedom and your liberty and your safety in the long run. It's just like this short-sighted gain. It's like a fat kid at a Sunday bar who wants that extra cherry on top, even though it's going to give him a fucking heart attack and he's going to keel over on the floor and crack some tiles. And the funny thing is, all these leftists are going to cry and say, oh my God, those poor people, and not realize that we are going to be those people. They'll watch the videos. They'll see them singing the American national anthem and they'll go, oh yeah, see, they want to be free, not realizing that they are doing everything everything they can to take away freedom here at home. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, we are back with Electric Liberty Land, episode number 137. Of course, you can go and find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL137. Coming back in here, a couple random thoughts. Uh, Trump is going to restrict immigration based on the use of public benefits. And of course, that has resulted in apoplectic fits by every member of the left calling Trump a racist and an immigrant hater and everything else, despite the fact that It does seem that this is a fairly logical step forward. And if you don't know this story, let me explain it real quick. I'll I'll just put it in a nutshell for you. Essentially, what Trump is saying that they want to look at immigrants that are here, legal immigrants, mind you, that are here, but that have predominantly been relying on the welfare state. So they are getting Medicare, Medicaid, they're getting food stamps, they're getting uh, services that are, of course, paid for by taxpayers. And he's saying that they want to judge whether or not you should be able to get a green card to remain here permanently based upon usage of those services. Now, I, of course, support this. And I I, I, I just don't understand why it's being demonized by people who say, and I can see the left saying, well, these are legally immigrated people, though. Don't you say you hate the illegal immigrants? Now you hate the legal ones, too. But let's take a step back here. If we're evaluating people, and the U.S. should evaluate people on whether or not they should stay here, because essentially, we want people who are going to be contributing to society. Isn't that right? Isn't that the the idea behind it? And if we have a system in place wherein we are permitting or declining people, and that is a system that has been established and people are actively, and I should say, if you're here on a green card or, or you're here on a visa, 
and you're working, you're trying to get a green card, you are voluntarily taking part in that agreement. Right? We can all agree on that, even in our, in our autistic libertarian senses. So you've volunteered to play into the system. I don't think that it's unreasonable for the system that you're voluntarily taking part in and which has you know, have agreed to let judge whether or not you should be allowed to stay in a country. Uh, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that, yeah, we want to make sure that you're going to be contributing and you're not just a net drain on the society. And while it might seem cruel and they're saying, oh, well, you're going to take away services that these people have and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Look, are, are we existing to simply be a cash cow or a provider of services for the most poor, for the most downtrodden of society? Is that a fair presumption for people to make? I mean, for people that are working hard, for people that are that are busting their asses, that are successful, that are trying to make ends meet and are not taking out of the system over and over again, is that fair to them? And I know the left will say, well, we're trying to tax the rich. We're not going after the people that are barely getting by. But what the... St- the basic economics people don't seem to understand, and I've said this time and time again, what drives me insane about anything in regards to federal policy, about minimum wage laws, anything about, and this is why taxes drive me so goddamn fucking crazy too, is the left wants to impose these standards on payment or standards on tax rates and, oh, we're going to tax you at this point because you're wealthy. Okay, I'm wealthy compared to who? In Los Angeles, I am not wealthy. I have a house. I get paid what you would say if you compared it to other parts of the country, you might say that I am a wealthy man comparatively, but I can tell you for this market, I am not wealthy for this market. It is still not a, a, an easy life where I just don't have to worry about money ever. I trust me. You, I fucking wake up at night thinking about goddamn money a lot. It ain't easy to get by with the bills I have, trying to trying to forward my own life, trying to set a life up for my fucking daughter, forthcoming. Things are very expensive here. And the left doesn't seem to understand that your standard of living and the cost of living, these things even out. And to just simply impose this, this tax across the border demand that people pay their, their employers or pay their employees a certain amount when you're in Poughkeepsie, Illinois, and it'll bankrupt your company, doesn't make any goddamn sense. It might feel make them feel good to pat themselves on the back for it, but empirically and economically, it makes no sense whatsoever. And as such, it doesn't make sense to demand that people who may be making a decent wage when you look at it from the outside in and some outsider that's trying to say, well, I want to feel good about myself, so you're going to pay extra money to support somebody that's not a net benefit to society and may never be, and that is the point of this. They're not saying they're going to kick you out right now, but they're saying if you are somebody that we're looking at it, you're not making ends meet, you're not doing X, Y, and Z, and you're not likely to in the future, well, then you're denied a green card. Look, you had your chance. Did you not? It's like if you go to college, you don't just expect to keep coming to class every day if you get fucking Fs, do you? No, you get kicked out, you fail, you go home now. You had your opportunity, you should have made the most of it. Now, look, that might be bad luck for you. That happens. Maybe you hit the hard rocks. Maybe things just didn't work out for you. Maybe the opportunities didn't fall your way, but you had your opportunity. And as we say, if you have an opportunity, you're, you know, the, the outcome isn't the guarantee here. The opportunity is the chance that you get. You failed. Now you go home. I'm sorry, but that to me doesn't seem that far out of the realm of responsibility. And yet Trump is getting absolutely destroyed over it. Fucking stupid. 
And again, really doesn't address the overall problem, by the way. That's what they all say uh, to the critics' point of view. Doesn't address the problems. America's got much larger problems, and it's not the legal immigrants that are here trying to get green cards. While I agree with this overall, it's like, you know, it's like worrying about a hangnail when your fucking hand is rotting off. All right, other thing, uh, Bernie Sanders' shocking sanity from Crazy Bernie. And this is in the wake of the shootings. Bernie Sanders said 99% of gun owners would never in a million billion years commit a mass shooting. And, you know, I'm just shocked to hear him say it. He went on Joe Rogan's podcast. I did not listen to the whole thing yet um, or any of it <laughs> because, honestly, I, just don't, I haven't been too damn busy to, to put uh, four hours of my time to listen to it. But here's the quote. Uh, you're absolutely right. 99% of gun owners would never in a million billion years think of doing these horrible things. And then he says, but at the moment we're living in, I think we're all going to have to make some concessions to the reality of what's going on. And that there's a small number of call them whatever you want depraved people who are prepared to do that. I wish I could say in the best of all possible worlds. Yeah, you can own any weapon you want and so forth and such. We're not in the best of all possible worlds. We're living in a world where we're shocked every day by horror. And he says he doesn't have a magical solution to end mass shootings. Well, you know, look, Bernie may be completely backwards retarded on economics, but this is a somewhat uh, intelligent take. At least he acknowledges there's no magic. Oops, there's no magic solution here. There is no red flag law that's going to make this going away. And, and the red flag laws are an abortion anyway. It's an abortion of justice, an abortion of liberty. It's going to be taken advantage of to no end by the government, by your relationships. You know, I, I, I've talked about this in the last episode. I'm not going to rehash it. But at least he acknowledges that, look, there's no solution to this. That's easy. Psychos are going to be psychos. But what does bother me is that he says we have to make some concessions to the reality of what's going on. But the problem is, no concession you make is going to fix it. None of the background checks, none of the, the, not even the red flag laws are going to stop this. Nothing is going to stop this. Because if you are a psychopath who has a itching to kill some people, you're going to find a way to do it. Whether that's a knife, whether that's a bomb, whether that's a gun. You have to address the core issue of the problem, as I was talking about last episode, and that ain't about taking away the guns from people. That's about addressing why so many people are so alone, why so many people are so unhappy, and why they go and resort to violence as a result of that. Until those things are addressed, none of this shit's going to change. But at least I give Bernie Sanders kudos for having some balls, because to be honest, in this day and age... Anybody on the left does take balls to defend gun rights in any sort of sense. All right. And last, let's talk about some hypocrisy from the list. How, how about that, guys? We all love some good leftist hypocrisy. So first things first. After the, uh, the latest shootings, there were some people that decided they were going to march on Mitch McConnell's house. And you had a bunch of people standing outside screaming at him, including things along the lines of just stab the motherfucker. This is like a crazy lady's yelling at Mitch McConnell's house that she wants to stab him, that he should be dead. Let's just stab him, murder him for, because he wants to support gun rights. Now let's just, let's for a minute, just take a step back and ignore the fact that psychopaths like this woman who want to stab other people for not agreeing with her are exactly why we need to have guns available to us to defend ourselves and our loved ones. And this woman seems to just be completely ignorant of the irony of everything that she's advocating by, by threatening death on, uh, on a man in order to 
eliminate his ability to defend himself. But also the thing that just was doubly ridiculous about this is that the McConnell campaign then post videos of these people outside of the house on the Twitter for the McConnell campaign, their uh, McConnell's official you know, Twitter campaign, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know what it's called. They post the videos on there and Twitter then suspends the account because now according to Twitter, they posted something that was violence or inciting violence, or I don't even know what the rationale for it was, but they, they say because they posted video of people threatening him with violence, they now have to suspend the campaign. <laughs> what? What? If you like, you can't. I mean, if you want clear evidence of bias, it's right there. I still don't think that they need to get involved with regulations or whatever executive order Trump's considering to try to crack down on uh, on lefty social media platforms. But you can't have it both ways here. You can't say that you're going to condemn the right for violence, right, and crack down on voices on the right that that are saying, you know. <laughs> Innocent things like learn to code because that seems to be in some some sort of incitement, and then say that somebody's campaign gets suspended or their Twitter account gets suspended for tweeting violent actions from the left as an illustrative motive. Now, granted, we're seeing this on YouTube. I mean, you see this with with all sorts of people uh, that are documenting different. You know, protests, different uh, actions from violent groups, Antifa. We saw it from Ford Fisher, who's, you know, his whole website, uh, his YouTube page got demonetized. And for something as simple as showing a hate group. So maybe this falls under that category of the left trying to crack down on the right by virtue of protecting the world from these hateful thoughts and actions, which again, this is what we're seeing. This is the worst kind of censorship. This protective censorship. And this is why the internet, this is why free thinking, this is why conversation under attack, because people feel the need to protect somebody else. And it's the same, we see the same thing with racism and, and this whole virtue statement from the left too, right? They always have to protect people that are minorities. And by virtue of that, they have to crack down on free speech from anybody that's on, on the other side. These people can't be trusted to defend themselves or to hear other people's points of view. No, no, no. That's considered hate speech, right? But I just thought this was absolutely insane. Some more uh, hypocrisy. Death camp for Trump supporters. Flyers were posted all over New York City. Uh, I guess, you know, on lampposts, on telephone poles, etc. There's uh, people documenting that. They've since been taken down. But, again, <laughs> more, more hateful, violent rhetoric. Uh, I thought this was pretty delicious. Sarah Silverman was fired from a movie over an old blackface photo. Now, I don't like this. I don't like that this happened. I should say that. I just laugh because Sarah Silverman has been somebody who, while she did go out of her way to defend other comedians like Louis C.K. from the whole hashtag me too uh, horse shit that was going on around that, and Aziz and sorry for that matter, she still has been one of the people that's outspoken, you know, oh, she's uh, you know, throwing herself on the woke bandwagon and saying that we need to ignore all the things of the past and that comedy's changed, that we have to redefine how funny is and throwing all these other people under the bus and attacking the GOP and attacking anybody that's not on with the leftist wokeism. So I do think it's funny that this came back to haunt her. But she got fired for, for a movie over not just a blackface photo, but an old sketch she did for the Sarah Silverman uh, program or whatever it was called back in the day where she was in blackface. And to be honest, I can't remember the exact sketch. I don't remember if it was funny or not, but I'm sure it was something that was essentially mocking her for being in blackface and thinking it's okay, which in itself, by the way, should be okay. And this is what nobody gets. And, and it plays into what I'm going to finish the show up with, which is talking about this movie that got canceled. But 
why don't people understand that satire and the satirization of a stupid way of thinking, even if it is including something that's insulting, like wearing blackface, should be accepted because it's making a point that that action is stupid. That's the whole fucking point. If you're not allowed to have stupid people doing stupid things and you're not allowed to utilize the stupid things they're doing to make a point, no one's going to learn that point, are they? So, with that in mind, a movie just got canned, which is called The Hunt. And The Hunt was being uh, reversed by or released by Universal Pictures, and it was done by Blumhouse Productions, which did the Purge movies. And essentially, the film involves a, a uh, and I'll link to the trailer in the show notes, but the film involves a plot wherein rich liberal elites from, I think, internationally, not just America, but rich, rich li- you know, lefties, they capture GOP or deplorables from flyover country. They fly these you know, rednecks out to the middle of nowhere on a private island, and they hunt them as though it's a game reserve. And now, Reason pointed this out, because I was thinking, I initially saw this, think on, if you guys know Petite Nikoko, <laughs> she's on uh, on on a Twitter, obviously, but she was part of the HAPA supremacy team. Uh, her and her husband, Shane, are both libertarians. But um, I think I saw it on her feed. But essentially, this came up. I had some interaction with her. And I, I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, well, it's ridiculous. They're canceling this. You know, I, I think it's hypocritical because if you did anything like this, the left would have gone completely apeshit over it, right? They would have just lost their mind saying that, oh, you can't, you can't hunt minorities or whatever the reverse would be, or this is, this is hate film. But I said, I don't know. I think it's hypo- had a little bit hypocritical, but I don't have a problem with it. I think you should be able to make the movie. You know, and art is art. Uh, a movie is a movie. Clearly, this is going to be some sort of kind of zany, kind of wacky, out of context thing where you know it's not going to be taken literally. It's not going to be taken verbatim by people, but it's a little hypocritical because of the left. And you know, the people that made it are on the left. However, now that I see what's happening here, and, re- and this is what I say, Reason pointed this out, and I agree with them. You've got this flip side of things now where the right is trying to engage the left in the same sort of cancel culture war that I fucking cannot stand. Cancel culture is the stupidest thing that has ever existed, and it continues to persist. And now it's being accepted. It's being emphasized by the right as a tit-for-tat thing. And it is killing, like I said before, it's killing conversation. It's killing free speech. It's killing off a lot of artistic uh, emphasis. It's killing off a lot of comedy. Because this film at its core would have been a comedy. I guarantee you that. It would have had comedic elements to it. Just from the guy that's the lead in it, he was like one of the guys in Neighbors. He's one of the guys in Cock Blockers. He's kind of like a doofy looking guy who's very funny. He's one of the main characters. So you know this is going to be a sort of a comedy. But also, when you've got a film like this and you've got the people being hunted as the deplorables, you know this isn't going to be a straightforward film where they just hunt and kill people that are on the right. That would be ridiculous. The way in which these things always play out is that the people being hunted are the ones that you root for. Nobody roots for the rich people that are flying them out to the reserve to hunt them. That's not the way the world works. Even if you're on the left, you're still going to be rooting in some way for the characters that are fighting against these rich people, against these elites, especially if you pretend that you're on the left and you that, and that you hate people that are elite, even though all your leadership on the left are fucking the biggest elitist ever. But... You have to hate the elite, right? So you're rooting for the right. Maybe it's going to humanize these people. Maybe it's going to show that they're not these stereotype caricatures 
that exist in the minds of the left. So if anything, you want these characters to get out there and be exposed. You want people to see the film. You want to have more films like this, which give another side of it and paint people that are quote unquote deplorables as the heroes, as likable, as funny, as relatable. So everybody on the right that jumped on this bandwagon, you did yourself a giant fucking disservice. You need to shut the fuck up and stop cancel culturing things. You're just making everything a worse place. You're, by taking part in this, you're essentially bringing yourselves down to their level. And nobody benefits from that. Let alone me, because I want to see the movie. So anyway, cancel, cancel culture, guys. I'm going to wrap it up on that for this show. Make sure to check me out on the Dent Report. As I said, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Make sure to listen to uh, Felony Friday this week because there will be a very interesting guest on there, as you heard me mention earlier. And of course, always listen in to Mark on uh, Mondays with his interviews. Had Jer- uh, Jacob Hornberger on. Great interview uh, with Jacob. Really enjoyed that one. So check that out as well. And of course, guys, go join the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can join up for as little as $2 now. And I saw, welcome, Pablo Sergio. <laughs> Uh, Pablo, of course, famous for putting together our Liberty on the Rocks events out here in Los Angeles. Pablo Blockchain, Pablo, Pablo Blockchain Sergio. You can follow him on Twitter as well. But uh, great dude. So welcome to the Pride. $2 member. <laughs> but at least now you can take part in the dialogue. And I encourage the rest of you to do that. Join up with the Pride. Get in there. Talk to us. Talk to the people that are really affecting how we view the world and the show itself. Get in some voice, some opinions, post some memes, make some jokes, uh, and all that good stuff. All right. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty.